Hello everyone, you are listening to Black Adoptees Identities. I am your host, Christelle Pellicure, and I am a coach and a multidisciplinary creative. Please join me to explore what identity means for adult adoptees and how they form their identity for their own adoption journey. In this podcast, you will hear a variety of views from adult adoptees about their own experience of adoption and how adoption has impacted them and what lessons they have learned along the way. Please note that the guests have been courageous in sharing their stories and some of the content and subject matters can be emotionally challenging and distressing for some individuals. Please use your own judgment whether to continue to listen or not and do look after yourself. And if you are affected by some of the issues discussed, please seek appropriate support and help. In this episode, I am in conversation with Isaac Sandberg. We discussed his adoption journey as a transracial adoptee growing up in a multicultural family. Isaac shared his challenges with his identity and adoption, his creative journey, and how he found his birth family. Isaac also discussed his brother's story and the struggle of living Black in America. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Black Adoptees Identities. I'm Crystal Pellicure, your host, and I am joined by Isaac today. Isaac Sandberg is a multi-talented Black transracial adoptee. He identifies as a queer and wants to create a safe environment for others like himself. He comes from a family of 11 in Minneapolis. When he's not being creative in Los Angeles or Minneapolis, he loves to spend his time hiking, biking, and watching documentaries. Isaac, welcome. Excited Hello. to Hi. I'm really excited to have you here. Um, Me too. I'm happy to be here. So tell us a little bit more about your journey, your adoption journey, where you all started. Okay. Um, well, my name is Isaac Sundberg. Um, I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota right now, but I also live in Los Angeles, California when I want to. Um, I'm an Aries, double cancer, and I'm adopted. I'm a transracial adoptee, so my parents are white, and I am Black American. And I was adopted when I was two weeks old. That's just the adoption part of me. Other than that, though, I love I love watching hair videos. I love traveling. I love hiking. I love fashion. I love photography. I love listening to like house music, EDM music. And I just love to like meet new people. And I like to like try new things. Honestly, like repetition is fun, but I like to just like constantly being meeting new people and like connecting. That's probably one of my most best traits I have. <laughs> I love it. Very creative. Yes. I really, really love that. Of course. So we talk very much around in this podcast about identity. So you've been adopted by white parents at quite a young age. So were you the only one in your family that looked like you or did you your parents adopt other children as well? Um, I come from a family of 11. So wow. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Big family. So I have, I think, 
six younger siblings than me that are adopted. So everyone that's under me is adopted. I was the first one. And then the people above me are biological to my parents. Wow, that's a big family indeed. Yeah. So some of the children that have been adopted, are they also black or different nationalities and race? So my siblings come from like a melting pot. I have three siblings that are from Ethiopia and I have one sibling that's biracial and then I have another sibling that's black American like me, but we're not blood related, but we're related by love. So yeah. That's really interesting. So how is that? Because it's quite multicultural household. How has that impacted your childhood in a way? Because very often, you know, when people are adopted in a white family, they're the only one in that family look like themselves. But in your case, you had other people who were black and who look like you in terms of skin color. Did that help you in terms of your identity or you still have issues and struggle growing up to to build your own identity? Um, that's a really good question. And I do realize that a lot about a lot of other adoptees. There's only like one or two of them being adopted um, in the whole family. For me, I think that my other siblings, they are different cultures than me. I think my parents, when I was younger, they really put me into things that were like Black American-centric. So not like stereotypical, but just like kind of getting me into the groove. You know, my parents have like Black friends, so it was like easier for them to kind of navigate where to put me. And so I still have issues with identity in those settings when I was younger, for sure. But it was open to me. It felt right. I remember like one of my friend's parents, she's a black woman. I remember when I was like in second grade, she just like made me feel so like seen as like just like a young little black kid. And I feel like she really, really helped me. And I'm still friends with her sons and daughters today. So really helped me just like find myself. I think my parents had a lot to do with that too. I think sometimes with transracial adoptee situations, the parents don't really know where to put their child or they feel like their child needs to be like them. But I feel like with my parents, they really were like, we need to try to give them something that's for them. And I think for my younger siblings too, they were able to do that in the way that they they could. I feel like they never held, like they have never held back like someone's own culture to them. So I think that's, it's it's definitely been a journey. And since I'm the oldest one, I'm 31 years old, there's so many like other things that I've had to learn that I kind of communicated or went through myself that, you know, I really hope my parents took notes on like what I was going through, maybe so we could like just kind of prevent some of those feelings and problems maybe uh, for my younger siblings. What do you think that even if in your case it's been, your parents has been really supportive and found a space for you to grow. What do you think for you has been the, the main struggle in terms of identity and finding yourself for adoption? I really like that question too. Um, so I think for me, I sometimes struggle with wanting to be loved. And I think that I've done to myself, like I've done so many amazing things. And it's like at the top of the top of where you're at or like the best feelings that you could have, there's still these underlying feelings of like, I hope this is enough, like to be loved. I not, you know, not just by my parents, just by like basically like 
anyone. And I think like like relationship issues, like things like that, like I'm not afraid to love, but sometimes I'm afraid that someone isn't gonna love me. Uh, and I think that that wound like has always been there for me. I've always tried and I, I always try to get to what success means to me and all the different things that I try to do in life. I always try to, you know, really pinpoint that and like try as hard as I can to learn what I can. Um, I learned when I was younger too. I had a choir teacher and she taught us like everything happens for a reason. Everything happens in a season. And um, I think that that has been a really good lesson for me. And sometimes it's hard to hear that and to believe it when everything's happening to you. But when I see younger people, like younger, maybe adopted or queer people or Black people like me, I try to tell them that stuff that, you know, there's reasons for different things. And sometimes everything you've done, like, it's going to add up to something great. It's just that it's hard to see it when it feels like everything's going wrong. But I've learned to take everything day by day. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest things with my identities uh, is just like, sometimes I'm afraid to be loved. And sometimes I feel like I come up with reasons why I didn't get things for myself a lot. But yeah, that's just the truth about me. And I'm okay with sharing that too. So yeah. I mean, you're not the only one. I think this is uh, one of the common problems, I think, with being separated so early or any time, actually, because for me, I was separated from my mother. At quite, I was quite old. I was adopted at 10, but yeah. that still affects you, you know, this separation. Yes. You still feel like you want that love that you don't have anymore. And even if you that love is replaced, there's still a, a void in you. And yeah. Even if people love you, <laughs> sometimes we do feel like, no, I don't know if I even deserve that love or if I can't find love or if I should love myself. So I, I completely get that. What yeah. about um, your experience from outside your household? So, you know, very often when we are in a in the bubble of our adoptive family, there's that big protection and, you know, life is one way. But when we go out into the big world, Sometimes it's very different. Did you have any problem navigating the, you know, life outside your adoptive family? So basically, I feel like I learned how to live life in a very social way um, where other people were like really goal focused or like, I'm going to be a good doctor. I'm going to be a firefighter, just things like that. For me, I never really had any of those goals. Like I remember even up to high school, like the beginning of high school, we would get like little forms that would say like, like make a collage about like what you want to do like in the future. And I never really, I never really had any of those things, mostly because I felt like I was getting through life, figuring out what to wear. Um, so people wouldn't clock me for being adopted or how to be because I am a queer person. So kind of trying to navigate like safety and I didn't come out until I was like 14, which is still really early, but I feel like I was getting questions and being made fun of for being gay, like for a really long time. And I just kind of learned how to navigate through it. I still did have like a lot of friends. I wasn't the most popular person by any means, but I feel like socially people just knew like yeah he's like adopted but like that's not really a big deal i feel like 
I come from a city. So in the city, I feel like it was pretty diverse. So people were more used to that. As in maybe sometimes in like rural areas, people like don't really know, like there's a lot of different types of people. So I feel like the difference between like in the home and outside of the home was kind of just like, it was more of the same situation. Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe today, maybe like there's much more of a realization of the different types of exposure that me being a Black queer male versus maybe some of my older siblings who are white. I feel like maybe there was a difference between what we were actually able to see, which um, I think there's a more of an understanding for that now. But I think what was happening, there's much more of a realization now of like, you know, I, yeah, I just feel like there's, there's, there's a more of an understanding of the battles that I face today than there was maybe five years ago or 10 years ago. And, you know, it's not just because of me. I think people do their own research, which is good. Um, and people experience things differently, you know? So I feel that it's been like a, a learning lesson in one, but I feel like it's definitely a difference between how I was raised and how, what I've seen on the outside, you know? Like I had to really learn how to be, yeah. You say that you, you didn't have a plan when you were growing up, but now I, when I look at your when I look at your social media, you are you know you're going to LA, you're going to do acting, and it feels yeah. like that changed now. You look like you are very focused and really want to know you know what you want to do and uh, going for it. Is that is yeah. that the case? I mean, you've done some amazing things in LA. <laughs> Can you share with us some of the things you've done? Um, yeah, I've been an actor on like a few TV shows. Um, I've done background on a lot of stuff. Um, there's some projects I want to say, but I can't like say can't it on say. the podcast because I might <laughs> no, get in trouble. Um, yeah. I've also been like a stylist in um, New York City, like a wardrobe stylist. That's what I did from the beginning. And I've been in like a lot of musicals when I was younger. I kind of want to get back on the stage. I think that would maybe be a good thing for me. So I'm going to maybe check out this next coming up theater season, probably the spring one. So I maybe might start auditioning for like professional theater coming up here. It's like December. So in the new year, I'll definitely try to do some new stuff. But basically when I didn't have a goal, or I didn't have anything. I went to like a public school and I'm in like 10th grade. Just to piggyback on like how I got to like being like a a creative person, I was always in choir, so I loved choir so much. And then in tenth grade, my friends wanted to go to like a visual art school, and I'm not so much of a visual artist when it comes to like painting. I guess I am now with photography, but like for some reason when I was younger, I just thought they meant like painting. So I didn't really like. I was like, oh, I like would go there. They have theater, but. I had never taken theater on seriously. I have just like kind of in shows that were at my church. And then I played like a kid. Um, when I first got to high school, I played like a kid in a, a musical. I actually was a Raisin in the Sun. So a Raisin in the Sun was actually my, was my first show that I ever did. So fast forward all that, I ended up going to a different art school than my friends. That one was strictly performing arts. And I kind of just like, started to feel my groove there and feel like okay this is like what you want this is something good for you 
And I also kind of played into like my social knowledge of everything. Like it allowed me to see the world in an entirely different way where it's like, well, you're used to people who don't, who aren't creative. You're used to just like, just people who are just kind of living their life. Like they want to play basketball. They want to play football. They want to, you know, hang out with girls all the time or, you know, they don't even want to go to movies. So then when I went to art school, it was like completely different where it was like, people were like, no, like I've danced at the studio for 15 years and, oh, I've been doing professional plays in um, the Minneapolis St. Paul area for my whole life. So that's like, what I came into. And that kind of just propelled me to be like, you are in the right place. I think it's hard for me to believe sometimes that I'm going to the right place on the right path, because I felt like it would just be so much more simpler. And I never like think that there's going to be hurdles or like anything crazy. I'm just like, yeah, you're going to get there. And when it doesn't go my way, I feel like totally down about it. But um, yeah, my teacher, uh, my capsule English teacher. So this is crazy. And I'm only telling this story because I actually just ran into this teacher. Her name was Miss Stranquist. I was literally at this pizza place. Like, honestly, I've, I'm 31 years old. I'm really old. And I think I met her when I was like 18 or 17. And um, so crazy. I had not seen her since then. She only worked at our school for one year. And in that time, she got to know me. I think at first she thought I was like a troubled kid, but I wasn't. I just was everywhere all at once. So um, she gave me this book and in the book, it was like a a magazine. It was like a men's fashion magazine because she knew that I liked men's fashion. And so when she gave me that book, I actually ended up, um, I ended up taking that book and I went to a state school in Minnesota here for a little bit. And then I ended up moving to New York. And when I moved to New York, I still had that magazine that she gave me. And I kind of like built on those magazines of like, why did I like men's fashion? I ended up starting a website for myself. Um, and that actually got me into the doors of becoming like an actual wardrobe stylist. But that's kind of like how I found my identity. At first, it was like, you know, the look. And I was like, no, I know the look. Like, I know the look. I know how to speak about the look. And I feel like fashion is a language. You know, that's kind of how I got in. But so I didn't have a direction when I started high school. But when I ended high school, I definitely did kind of have a direction for, like, what I wanted to do. So just to stand on my business and say, yeah, it really did kind of work out for myself. I, I would love yes. to speak to you more about that because I work in the fashion industry for 10 years. So I was a makeup artist in, in fashion. So I was doing photo shoot, magazine photo shoot. I was doing fashion week in the back, backstage doing the makeup on the models. So I, oh, yeah. Crazy hectic I, back there. Yeah, so I really enjoyed that period of my life, but wow. <laughs> I had to move away at some some point in my life as well. But yeah. sometimes I, I look back and I do miss it. Yeah, I know it's, it's a great. More. It's uh yeah, definitely we need to talk more about that. So yeah, it's it's still you know fashion is still following me around in different parts. So I'm sure I will get back into it somehow. Yeah, you but, should. Yeah, we are here to talk about adoption, so let's let's get back to it. What about your heritage and background? Did you manage to find out more information about your birth family? Is did you go into that direction, or you are not at all interested to find out? That's a really good question, and I think that every adoptee has like such a different answer to like their real family, their birth family, and like how they want to connect with that or if they don't. Um, for me, 
I was really young. This is like even before high school, I told my mom that there's like a missing piece of my heart. And if I, I'm really poetic, um, I try to be. <laughs> it just kind of just always flows out that way. And everyone's like, you talk like a movie. And I'm like, that's all I know. Like, all I do is watch movies. Like, I'm an actor. So um, I remember telling her like, oh, like there's a missing piece of my heart. Like, it's never going to be filled until I like find my birth family. And I went to school. And then when I came back by the end of the day, my mom was like, I have like a number for you to call that was like to somebody who was a relative of my like birth mom. And so I was able to find them. And this is like before social media. This is like turn of the century <laughs> before technology. So this is like right before like, yeah, there was Facebook and MySpace, but it wasn't like it wasn't like how it is today. MySpace, um, oh my God. Let's take me back. <laughs> MySpace was my favorite. I loved it because I'm a little neurodivergent. So being able to like pick your background and like pick your song and pick your top friends. And that's kind of what got me into like kind of being a software engineer a little bit because just HTML is still what they use today. It's just, there's other programs you have to learn on top of that to incorporate HTML in. So it was a stepping stone for all of us. That's probably why they didn't want uh, Byspace to go too far because they were like, if we let them all know about this, they're all going to be trying to do this. They're all going to be too smart for us. Cause on Facebook, I mean, you can get Facebook's like, you can get the code for it, but like you're not gonna be able to like duplicate it the exact right way. Yeah. So back then, sorry, I love a tangent. I found my birth mom and I do speak to them sometimes. I really would like to meet them soon. I just have like a lot going on right now, like personally and emotionally. But I did speak to my birth mom right before I kind of have started my real acting journey here like a year and a half ago. And she told me that, like, she's always going to be there. She told me, like, you should just go. Like, just go follow your dreams. Just do that. And I did. And I was able to reach really cool heights and really accomplish things that I never even thought I would. And I think that just, like, those words of encouragement from my birth family and my adoptive family as well, they put me in places that I had never been. Or they pushed me to push a little bit harder. Especially, I had just lost my younger brother to police violence. So mm, that's, that's kind of what just like, yeah, um, thank you so much. Um, I feel like I kind of uh, had that happen to me. And I kind of just like, was like, oh, well, I'm about to move to LA. I I'm about to move to LA. Like that's, I'm about to move to LA. I'm about to be an actor. I'm about to be a sign model. Like I'm about to do this, right? And I really just went super head on hard into doing this, like into being that, you know, I was like, you have all the tools, you've gotten the green light from like, you know, people who like, oh, like some people might want to see you because, you know, I'm scared like of a Tyler Perry situation happening to me, just like, oh, like you have to do something with your birth family after like someone's missed, like, you know, I, I didn't really want that. So I really tried to check in first. But now, um, as we sit here, as we do this interview, I'm really in a place of healing. This actor's sag strike just ended. It's been a really long time um, for me to reflect. And right now I'm really in a place of healing. I'm trying to um, center myself so I can be okay when I receive blessings um, coming in the future. 
I do love being a performer, but I would really like to travel the world. I would really like to there's like there's just places I want to go and I want to see. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like maybe those blessings will come when I just heal. Um, and I can't. I've talked to a really good friend recently. Her name's Heather, and me and her are just speaking a lot. And she, one thing she told me is like, once you heal yourself. you can help so much other people heal. And that has stuck with me every single day since I've started this healing journey. And um, that is what's kept me like going. And I feel like that's someone who I also did her hair. And I love to do hair because hair to me is like the ultimate love. And I feel like because I'm adopted, you know, like my parents never really did my hair. Be they'll pick my hair. for sure never had it <laughs> they made sure i was picking my hair out but um as i was able to just like braid hair i feel like i braid hair like out of love like i braid my sister's hair just like i would braid anyone else's hair that i do um and it's not like i have a list of clients and like people who appreciate me but it's not really like a i'm not going out there looking for that because i'm just trying to give the love that i know how to give strictly through like doing hair and braiding and like trying new things out with new people and just giving them that love like in their scalp you know that's honestly been one of the craziest things so heather really helped me bridge that gap between my healing phase where i am now And I'm still working on that every single day, every single day. And I think that, yeah. So that was a run on tangent. I'm so sorry, but oh, it's yeah. okay. I'm loving the hair braiding and how you're giving love for that. That is so beautiful. Yeah. But you know, you, you are showing your hair, showing your story. This is, you know, the reason I put this podcast on is so people can share their story and that other people can. hear other people's stories so they that can help yeah. them so you don't know yeah. who you're helping right now by sharing your story so you know i'm really grateful that you can share that with us today and i'm sure there's someone who could be relating to your story and feeling that receiving the love and the, the healing as well as um as you're talking about your own story I... thank you for the blessing thank you no oh, you're welcome I know it's a bit raw and you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to. It's okay. About your brother. I, I couldn't even imagine what you and your family are going through right now. And I think that's a question I asked earlier about how, how do you navigate between, you know, when you're in, in your family and then when you go out there, you know, it's such a different world sometimes. And I know it's not only for adoptees because any black people, especially in America right now, it's not very safe to be yeah. walking down the street. How I don't even know what the question I want to ask because it's it's such a such a big thing. But I suppose how has that impacted you personally? Seeing one of your brother is it one of the adopted brother, right? Yes, he was adopted. How does that affected you and navigating? your i suppose your identity as a black man living in that space in america where you could just walk in the street and you know that anything could happen to you the next minute it affected me one because there's a level of cognitive distance from it being unsafe to be a black male living 
in the United States when it happens somewhere else. That's what I would probably have said like maybe like 10 years ago. But honestly, since Trayvon Martin, I always would ask myself, like, is it me next? Like, that's when I first lived in New York City, where it was like Trayvon Martin, like, people are like walking down the streets, like, it's all filled up on 8th Street, you know, just like crazy stuff happening. And then, you know, we also have, so there's a lot of other lost Black loved ones that have happened between that time. And let's fast forward. And, Rest in peace to all of them and justice for all Black people. But I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and George Floyd was killed maybe five blocks from my uh, family, like, where I grew up at. So basically where I was born at in the beginning, well, where I was adopted to, like, that house was literally, like, five blocks away from where George Floyd was killed at. And, you know, I used to sit there even in college Eric Gardner. I remember I'd be sitting in class like, dang, this is a big black guy like who wasn't even doing anything wrong, you know. And I would just be sitting there, you know, trying to like finish these courses for these professors, like really trying to get my work done. And then in the back of my head, I'm like, you know, like if I go outside today and I walk into a situation wrong and I'm not aware, like I could be killed. And that's always been like my thought process do like how I have even up to George Floyd when George Floyd happened like my job so I had just gotten to corporate America I worked for a tech company and they were telling me like yeah we can pay for your hotel like in the suburbs but it's like you guys are not like understanding like I am a person from this neighborhood I'm a person from this community I already know they're like sending people in the suburbs to like that's the people in the suburbs as the people who's coming in and being like uh white lives matter and all this stuff and like burning stuff down like you know mugging people that was like what white supremacists were doing and they were staying in the suburbs and like i just really realized like oh people really don't have the same experience like bro i'm scared to walk outside like i'm scared to walk outside one because i'm black and this is all before my brother even passed like this is all before that and then you got the COVID like lockdown, you know, like it's all happening at the same time. It's all happening at the same time. And so basically I just kind of like numbed out like really. And then it seemed like, you know, after George Floyd, it definitely didn't get better in the community, but I ended up, I lived with my friends before. And so I ended up moving. Uh, it was still COVID. I was still working from home. Um, I'm really thankful once again. Every time I say something, like I remember saying it like way back, like I really want a remote job. Like I would be able to work from home. And then I really got, I really was able to do that. So I'm really thankful for that. And that's a realization that I really just had like right now, like you did say you wanted that, you did that. But basically when my brother passed, it was kind of just like, I'll never really forget that situation. Uh, I'll never forget, like, it just fell off from the moment my mom texted me, like, what was happening. And, like, I was FaceTiming my best friend, and, like, it just fell off. And, like, me and him are connected so much, my best friend. So, like, we have the same tattoo. I just remember when he was texting me, like, my mom texted me, me and my best friend are on FaceTime. She's texting me what's happening with my brother. And, like, it's just the whole night. I knew something was bad. I knew it was bad before anything happened. I used to have, like, dreams when people would pass away. Like, 
the night they would pass away that were close to my family when I was younger. And I would always tell my mom, like, yeah, I had the dream. And then she'd be like, oh, that's crazy because so-and-so, like, passed away. Or one time I had with my grandma and, like, she had, like, passed away, but, like, they were able to, like, revive her. But I still had the same dream and, like, I wouldn't even know that was happening. But for my brother, I felt the same thing. I didn't have no dream because it was too crazy. Like, I couldn't, like, I couldn't, like, uh, like, I couldn't, like, I couldn't believe it was happening, honestly. And I felt like I want to speak, like, on someone that's, like, passed away. Even that's my brother. You know, justice for him, for real. I feel like my family is still healing. We all heal, like, such an individual ways, too. But I feel like I wish I could have, as I speak on my own identity today, um, I feel like there was also things going on with him that maybe, like, maybe I could have, like, been there more you know and as a, being an adopted an older adopted sibling it's not a free weight on my shoulders to be who i am be who who i want to be no because there's people under me that i have to set examples for i have to speak for and some people would honestly explain it as like oh like you don't have to do that you can live your life but i'm like no because maybe everything goes back to like maybe I have a really old soul but if we were all like not even like not even like slaves but we were all in a village and you know like people were struggling with something and no one else could speak for them even like before like not even like you know just like before like I would still feel the weight on my shoulders as an elder as a person who's been on the planet someone who's a little bit more wise I feel like that weight is on my shoulders to speak for those people and to try to get them um, so they can navigate the right way. And I feel like I've seen that so many other times, especially with Black people as I've grown up, that still will have a voice for situations where it's like, no, these kids need this, or they shouldn't be doing that because that's not going to be good when X, Y, Z happens because people will think this you know, there's an amount of protectiveness that American Black people have over our people. And I've felt that since I was young because there was people younger than me. So even though I learned my life socially, I still have younger siblings, even younger than my younger brother, you know, where it's like, how can I continue that, like, to help them, like, kind of grow you know as much as as much as i can sometimes i can't give everything you know sometimes i you have to let them live their life you know but just being an example and really like trying to fight for my own self i think has been like the message like you can do whatever you want to do i really want all black adoptees to know that you can do whatever you want to do you are who you say you are if there's parts of yourself that that you don't like, you don't, you don't have to carry that around with you because you are who you are. Other people are not thinking as hard as we are thinking about how we walk around in different spaces. You know, the intersectionality of the pinpoint of where we're at is crazy. Like, it's literally like everything everywhere all at once, like the movie, like there's so much going down um, for us. And I feel like the best way I can do that for my younger siblings, for people who look like me, um, all that stuff is to just kind of be myself and fight and speak when I have to speak. Yeah.
sorry, that was a really long question for me because I really don't really get to think about my brother passing like all the time because I think it would just like, there's so much scrambled answers that I have because I still don't even know how to process the situation. Mm -hmm. But that's why I'm in a healing place right now. Yeah. Because um, I want to be able to do that. I am I am really grateful for you to to share those those feelings. And I I know it's not it's not easy, but I was gonna say to you that, you know, just you sharing your story and like you say, being you and healing, this is already a very good example for your younger siblings for them to look up to you. And I really, really wish you and your family that you find justice for your brother and you found healing and love between each other. I know it's it's a very difficult thing to get through. Thank so you. I I wish you all the best with with continuing in that healing journey together. Yeah, so yeah, that was a heavy one. Um yeah. Um, yeah, I am. I am really grateful for you to share that, and I, I don't even know what else to say to you. But I, on the line of wanting to support other younger adoptees, what would be your advice, or what would you say to your younger self today as an adoptee? If you are gonna, if you look back at your younger self, what advice would you give to yourself or to your younger siblings right now? If if they were coming to you for advice, what would you tell them? All right, I have two responses because one of them is just to myself. So basically, everything you ever said you wanted to do, you can do. You've been places that you never know you could, and you've accomplished things that you never thought was possible. The world is so big and amazing and you're going to meet some of the most amazing people and you're going to find you're going to find people who ground you you're going to find spiritual people you're going to find people who see you who love you that you never thought was possible so that's what i would say to my younger self for sure because i feel like it's so hard for me to reflect sometimes especially like when i was younger i would black everything out like if i if a situation was even a little bit traumatic i'd be like i'm good and i just wouldn't ever think about it again to my younger siblings, I would say, and younger Black adoptees, I would say, go forth, you sweet child. You deserve everything you ever wanted. And no goal is too great. No journey is too long. If you put your mind to do it, I promise you, you can do it. Life does come with hurdles. I've learned that on my own journey, but those hurdles and those things that you learn are going to be so much better in the end because you're going to have a great understanding on how to help the next person who's like you. And that's the only task you have is to live your life to the fullest. And when you can, with what you have, it doesn't have to be physical money, but spiritually, you have to help people who are just like you because they're not going to hear what message I'm giving to you unless you do what I say and then get that message to somebody else that's what i would say honestly because i think it's really important to you carry a fire with you and you can't light that person's fire until you have a full flame for yourself and sometimes you see little flames little flames where it's like we can make that flame big a lot of the times maybe people don't think that their flame is big because they're adopted or because they feel like they're different and it's like, no, like I can help you grow your flame with this knowledge 
and then when you're ready, you can pass that knowledge on to someone else. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Isaac, thank, thank you. you so much for coming onto the podcast and really being so vulnerable and being authentic and really sharing your story and your brother's story and your sibling's story. Yeah. I am really, really grateful for you and for all your story and your sharing. So thank you very much and thank you, Crystal. Thank you. Keep in touch. Yes. I totally will. Thank you for this opportunity. Forever grateful for this opportunity. It's the first time I've ever really been able to speak on this type of platform. And I knew it was coming. Once again, I was like, you're gonna have to tell your story one day. You're gonna have to start. And like, because if you don't start, then no one's gonna be able to know that maybe they have a relatable thing too. So Crystal, thank you for giving me that space to do that and to all the other adoptees who listen to this um, this is a safe space here and it's open and it's warm and it's real my pleasure and this is just the beginning so continue to tell your story it is worthwhile thank you so much thank you this is crystal pedicure and you have been listening to Black Adoptees Identities, where Black adult adoptees share their stories. Please do share and subscribe to our podcast and do stay connected with us by following us on Instagram at Black Adoptees Identities. Thank you for listening to this week's episode and until next time, goodbye.